We already knew that Carolina was tough this year, but now it's reached a whole new level, and it's all thanks to Coach Hubert Davis deciding to press a long and athletic Florida State team. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, what's up? Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade. It's Monday, December 4th, and I want to thank you everydayers for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen or watch to get your team every day. If you're new to the show or you're just visiting, we're so glad you're here too. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, come join the Locked on Tar Heels Discord where we're talking Carolina all the time. The link is in the show notes. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. Coming up on the show today, of course, we're recapping Carolina and Florida State. So we're going to have the Four Corners recap. Shady stat of the game. We're going to talk about why RJ Davis is so ridiculous right now. But before we get into those specifics of the game, I want to talk about a whole new level of toughness for Carolina. It was funny because you, you'll probably recall if you're an everydayer that last week ahead of the Tennessee game, we were asking the question together, hey, are the Tar Heels tough enough to play with the Rick Barnes coach Tennessee team? They had shown toughness against Villanova and again against Arkansas, even, even in the loss to Villanova. They had showed toughness down in Atlantis. Um, and coming into Tennessee, it was like, okay, but it's a new level for this. Well, not only were they tough enough for Tennessee, they were tougher. Little did we know that the Tar Heels would face a whole new toughness test against Florida State on Saturday. Carolina was down 14 points with 17.25 to go. They weren't shooting well, and the big question is, oh, okay, is, is this it? They're, they're going to follow up that massive win by just kind of laying an egg to kick off ACC play. But there was, I mean, plenty of time left. So the question was, can they do the things necessary for a comeback? We just don't know with this team's previous Carolina teams, you know, like a Tyler Hansborough team. You're like, of course they're going to come back and win this game. With this group, we just didn't know. There was no way to because they hadn't been in this kind of deficit. But now we know, and oh boy, am I glad we do because this team has found a whole new level of toughness. The 22 to nothing run just itself is going to get the majority of the tension of this win. And for great reason, because that is insane thing to do. But here's what we got to be aware of. Carolina, even before the 22 to nothing run, had already shaved off six points of that 14 uh, point Florida State lead. In fact, um, they had it down to five at one point. So Carolina was already doing different things. And here's why. It's all because with 1534 to go on the clock, coming out of the under 16 media timeout, Coach Davis took uh, the, the decision, made the decision at that point, hey, we're going to start pressing. We're going to try to get this thing down. So after the under 16 timeout, uh, the Carolina had the ball, but FSU's first possession after that, Carolina starts pressing. They get the steal immediately. It results in some Harrison Ingram free throws. And then uh, it, it, it's kind of off and running at that point. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But for me, this is about Hubert Davis and his coaching. 
Uh, like it is time for those of us who have not yet done so to give this man his flowers. And it's it's weird, you know. I haven't haven't really been hearing too much from the anti Hubert Davis crowd lately. I'm, you know, maybe they're just having a little trouble connecting to the internet to reach out and say how 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 glad they are for Hubert. You know, but seriously, it's like Hubert Davis and the coaching staff are doing great things this season already. So they make this decision to press. They're down 13 at the time. And then Carolina just starts chipping away. So here it was. We, we get to the point now of, uh, of the 22 to nothing run. Carolina, it's about 10 minutes left. They're down eight at this point. And it's kind of crazy because Elliot, the, the lineup at that point is RJ Davis, Seth Trimble, Harrison Ingram, and Armando Baycott. And then here comes Elliot Cadeau checking in for 6'5", Cormac Ryan. And I remember sitting there thinking, like in real time, I don't know about this. Carolina's been pressing. They've cut into the lead. But this is a long and it's an athletic Florida State team, as always. And Carolina's going to get smaller in the backcourt now. Like, I don't know, Seth isn't all that much. Or Seth, um, you know, you'd had Seth and, and Cormac out there. But Elliot coming in for Cormac, you're losing four inches off of what is already a, a smallish backcourt. And it kind of bore itself out on the Florida State ensuing possession. They get two offensive rebounds. Thankfully, they miss the putbacks. Harrison Ingram gets a rebound. And then it's off and going. Because Carolina's next possession is where uh, Elliot pitches over the top to Armando from out on the wing. Armando gets a bucket plus the foul. And there's that little fake bump, nice acting job for the second time by green. I forget which green it was of the two. Um, but at that point, the run is on Armando, of course, makes the free throw because that's what he does these days. And that layup came at 918. Carolina went on a 22 to nothing run until Florida State finally hit a free throw with four and a half minutes to go in the game. Perhaps the biggest key of this run for me, the 22 to nothing run, is that Carolina you know, when you're down by double digits like this, a lot of teams, when you hear them make a run, it's because they shot themselves back into it. It didn't take that happening for Carolina to make this run. In fact, of the 22 points, only three of those 22 came from a three-pointer. That was RJ Davis, the second basket of the run. And I also love that not only did they need to shoot themselves back in the game, it's that they didn't try to. Carolina went on this run with the pressure and with making layups, getting out and running. And that is what did it. Here's what that tells me. This is a veteran team that trusted the process. They knew they didn't have to go and shoot themselves back in because doing so could just as easily shoot themselves further out of the game. They knew they had enough time. They executed what their coaching staff was asking them to do. And you just have it. And I could go through the whole list, but that just takes more time than, than we have or need. But it, it was a beautiful thing to watch. And it told me so much about the mental fortitude of this team. Not only are they tough enough to make the plays, but they're tough enough to trust the process. And that's exactly what happened. And for Florida State, man, they, you know, we had talked about it. They had just blown in their previous game a 17 point second half lead at home. And now in this one, they blew a 14 point half time or second half lead at Carolina. Beyond this toughness of this specific game, keep in mind, we are now at the point where Carolina finished off that four-game losing streak last year. And, and so we now see the difference in last year's team and this year's. Each of the past two seasons, let me remind you of the parallel. 
Carolina lost the second game of their Thanksgiving week tournament. Last year, it was Iowa State up in Portland. This year, it was Villanova in Atlantis. Last year, the three games that followed that were the final game of the the, um, PK-85, where they lost to Alabama. Then they lost at Indiana in a conference battle. Last year, it was Big Ten. Now it's SEC. And then they proceeded to go on and lose their first ACC game. It was the same progression of three games for Carolina this year. The third game of their Thanksgiving week tournament at Atlantis, then a conference champion or conference matchup battle challenge, whatever you want to call it. This time the SEC against Tennessee and then their first ACC game. Instead of going 0-3 in that stretch, Carolina went 3-0. So how did Carolina respond to their first loss of the season each year last year? 0-3. Granted, two of those were on the road where two of those were at home this year. But this year, instead of 0-3, 3-0. That is a huge, massive, big difference in essentially the same types of games. This Carolina team, folks, is different. Beyond winning that ACC game to wrap up what last year was a four-game losing streak. Carolina is now 1-0 in ACC play. And of course you want to get there, but remember on Friday we talked about the reason that was so important is because when we get to the main chunk of ACC play, the final 19 games, the first three of those are on the road. You do not want to start that stretch as an 0-1 ACC team like Duke is right now. Oh man, throw uh, Duke catch some uh, strays in here as well they should. Um, instead, you want to be 1-0 because then you got to go on the road back to back to back before you're back in the Smith Center for the overall fifth game of ACC play. And they did exactly that. It's great stuff for the Tar Heels. So all in all, what did we learn? An even new depth of the toughness that we had learned in the Tennessee game. Way to go, Tar Heels. Keep it rolling. Got a massive matchup Tuesday at Madison Square Garden against the reigning national champion, UConn Huskies, who just lost over the weekend at Kansas. All right, coming up in just a second, I want to talk about the catalyst of this team, the MVP right now, which is RJ Davis, and he is doing ridiculous stuff. We'll get to that in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by LinkedIn. Hey, when you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top tier candidates as possible to interview. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. It's critically important for the success of your business to have a quality pool of candidates to interview. And thankfully, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to find those candidates. It's not just another job board. They got this vast network with more than a billion professionals, making it the best place to hire, which is easy when you have that many quality candidates available. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours on LinkedIn. They know that small businesses are wearing so many different hats and that they might not have the time or resources to hire well. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, that process is intuitive, it's easy and quick, and they even just launched this new feature which helps you write job descriptions so you can really hone in on what you need. So post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, I want to talk RJ Davis. 27 points in this game. I mean, it like that alone is wild that, that, you know, anytime somebody's getting up close to 30 or at 30, it's great. But now RJ has done so 27 or more points in back to back to back games. 
And who were they playing in those back-to-back games? Arkansas, Tennessee, and Florida State. Three teams that are big or tough or athletic or whatever it is that would make it tough for someone of RJ's size to, to do a lot of great things. But here he is going 27 or more in all three of those. This uh, What RJ is doing is nuts right now. And by the way, he's just the 10th player in Carolina history to score 27 or more three games in a row. I want to honor that history. And so I want to read you the names of those on that list with RJ. George Glamick, Lenny Rosenbluth. Of course, he's on that list. Pete Brennan, Billy Cunningham, Bob Lewis, Charles Scott, Phil Ford, Brad Daugherty, and Joe Forte, the most recent to do it back in 2001. So it's been over two decades since someone has done this. And perhaps it's even more impressive when you think of all the names that you didn't hear me just name, right? Like RJ is the 10th to do it, but, but think of all the Carolina names you didn't just hear me name off that RJ has done that they haven't done. It is wildly impressive to me. And, and, and I tweeted about this, like we're, you know, what eight, eight games into the season now for Carolina and, and what RJ is doing is, is so wild, but you got to remember this. There were two teams named in the preseason as all ACC, all ACC first team and all ACC second team, five people on each. And I know that these lists are nothing more than, than talking points in a way to help identify top projected players and, and get people talking and discussing and honoring things. But the fact to me that RJ Davis was not only on, not on the first team, but not on the second team. I declared this at the time and I'll do so again is frankly ridiculous and an oversight. And I don't know what we're doing because it like, it's one thing if a player just comes out of right field and blows up and you're like, Oh wow, that's incredible. And no way we could have seen that coming with RJ though. You think about all the production he's had while sharing a backcourt with Caleb Love. How much more is he going to have when not sharing a backcourt with Caleb Love? And oh, by the way, having a phenomenal true point guard in RJ in uh, Elliot Cadeau beside him. Of course, RJ Davis is going to go off and go nuts. And when you remember things like, oh, last year he did everything he did struggling with his index finger. He doesn't have that this year. It's inexcusable that he was left off this list. Now, I know that that ultimately it doesn't matter. And it's really the postseason accolades that matter. And thank goodness, because hopefully they will not get this wrong. But at the time that these preseason teams were released, we talked about it. And I compared RJ to some others on this team, like Syracuse's Judah Mintz, who's playing really well. Uh, We didn't really compare him to Tyrese Proctor, who was on, I believe the first team, if I don't uh, forget. And just, just go look at his box scores, Mr. Duke point guard, what he's doing. It ain't what RJ's doing, I'll tell you that right now. And and beyond all this, it's not even just that RJ should have been on these lists or, you know, assuming he keeps doing what he's doing, will be at the end of the season. RJ is not, shouldn't just be on the list. This man is one of maybe three guys early in the season that I would consider as ACC player of the year. 
And none of those three, by the way, is Duke's Kyle Filipowski, although he'll be in the running for that. The other two that are right with RJ right now is Clemson's PJ Hall and Boston College's Quentin Post. I mean, they're doing work. These three guys are the only three in the conference scoring 20 or more points a game at this point. But as for RJ, not only is he doing that, he leads the conference in free throw percentage and he's 22nd in assists per game, which would be different if he wasn't playing with a true point guard or Harrison Ingram, who's also a really good distribution, you know, playmaking kind of guy. There's other things that RJ is doing so well as well. We won't even get into advanced metrics, but this dude is going off. I just talked about the importance of Elliot Cadeau for him, but that's 100% true as Elliot gets more and more and more comfortable and allows RJ to play more and more of the two of the shooting guard. It's just going to make him that much more lethal and just, just keep watching that. Two other things I love that RJ is doing right now is he has become the end of shot clock guy. Last year, so often that was Caleb Love. Um, Those end of shot clock shots that you're kind of forced to take that, you know, maybe you're trying to make something happen. Well, it's so different this year because last year Carolina would often just stand around. This is both you know, on the other four guys on the court and Caleb for not really doing much to make it happen. This year's team moves the ball so much more capably that, you know, you're always going to have situations where you get into forced into end of shot clock moments. But this year, those shots that RJ is looking at are different. Like there was a, a desperation three. I feel like it was in the Tennessee game, but it was coming off a pass for Elliott where all RJ had to do was pull up. Um, in, in this game, you know, he hit a dagger on Saturday. FSU was trying to crawl back in it late. There's about a minute and a half to go. Uh, FSU would cut it to six. RJ just pulls up, gets his three. Never got closer than seven again. Not So he is this end of shot clock guy that you can depend upon and rely on. And he's whether it's getting to the basket or pulling up from deep, he can make it happen. But not only is he an end of shot clock guy, he is an end of game guy. This this dagger three that he hit against Florida State, that's an end of game moment. But also, you think about how phenomenal he is from the free throw line. There's nobody else on this team I would want in the ball with <laughs> with the ball in his hands more than RJ. And that's with all due respect to Cormac Ryan, who's also shooting 90% from the free throw line. But with RJ, he's just proven it over and over and over time and time again. Uh, we talked about down the, down the stretch, was it Tennessee or Arkansas, where um, he and Elliott went a combined eight for eight. It's, it's those kind of things. RJ not only is consistent from the free throw line during the game, but in closing out games as well, when you have to make your shots at the free throw line. It's just RJ Davis is having a phenomenal first eight games of this season, and it ain't going anywhere. We got to get to our Four Corners recap. We got to get to our shady stat of the game, and we're going to do all that in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Maybe you've been thinking about joining FanDuel. Well, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now. Their app, it really is so easy to use, and they have a wide array of betting opportunities for you. Spreads, player props, over-unders, or how about this one? 
The ACC regular season champion odds are on FanDuel right now. Duke is at plus 190, Carolina at plus 340. Well, we might see some shifts in those numbers coming up soon. Miami and Virginia both at plus 470, and Clemson at plus 1,000. Clemson looks good, folks. I'm just telling you. So if you want to get in on that, those ACC bets, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get in on that and any of the NFL action this season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, let's get to our four corners recap. We were just talking about RJ and his free throws, and that's actually the first thing in our four corners recap, how important the free throw line Carolina has, or uh, how important the free throw line has been for Carolina, not only in this game specifically, but this season overall. In this game, Carolina only sent the Seminoles to the line eight times. They only made four of those. Meanwhile, the Tar Heels went 31 times and connected on 25 of them. This is even a bigger gap than Carolina had against Tennessee when they doubled up the number of temps on Wednesday night. Right now, Carolina as a team has made 53 more free throws than their opponents have attempted. They've made 178 their <clears throat> opponents, excuse me, have attempted 125. And also Carolina has done that while shooting a higher percentage from the free throw line. That is going to be something that is going to help you win game in and game out. Let's look at a couple individual players who were really helping achieve that. We just talked about RJ Davis and I had mentioned all due respect to Cormac Ryan. Here's why. RJ right now has only missed two free throws all season, 35 out of 37. That's 94.6%. He is first in the ACC. Meanwhile, Cormac Ryan has also only missed two free throws. He's 23 of 25, 92%. He's third in the ACC. Yes, the Tar Heels have the first and third leading free throw shooters by percentage in the conference. Combined, these two are shooting 58 of 62. That's 93.5%. You're you just feel so comfortable knowing that you know a lot of times end of game when you know the other team's gonna foul you, and it's like, all right, we gotta get the ball only to RJ, nobody else can touch it. When you know that that can be both RJ and Cormac, but that that's a different kind of situation right there. Oh, and by the way, let's not forget Armando Baycott, this guy who is a 66 percent career free throw shooter coming into the year and had never shot above 67 percent in a single season is currently sitting at 84.8%. The statement I'm about to make is true. Armando Baycott is the 13th leading free throw shooter by percentage in the ACC. Wrap your brain around that. But he's doing so while shooting the fifth most attempts in the ACC in terms of like average attempts per game. All the four guys ahead of him are all under 80%. It's, it's absolutely bonkers. And what's great about this for the coaching staff is then you don't have to like sub in and out. Like, all right, we got to get Armando out because we can't let him get fouled and sent to the line. It's like, go ahead, foul him if you want. Now, obviously you'd rather get the ball to RJ or Cormac, but it's so nice knowing that you have Armando as a backup there. Number two in our four corners recap, how about Seth Trimble? In the second half as Carolina was making their run, Coach Davis severely truncated the rotation, the five starters, and Seth Trimble. And it's nice because when you've been playing your depth so much, it allows you to know that these guys are going to have their sea legs up under them. Not to mention that it's it was the Florida State game. You got UConn on Tuesday, but then you got like a week and a half off until you face Kentucky 
you know, like 10, 11 days later. So you can run these guys some extra minutes. I bring up Seth Trimble because he led the team by far in plus minus. If you're not familiar with plus minus, it's just what what is the score differential when you are on the court? So when Seth Trimble was on the court on Saturday, the Tar Heels were plus 24 over Florida State. The next closest person person to him was Elliot Cadeau at plus 16. All that to say, again, you know, people disagree on how important plus minus is because for a variety of reasons, I just very simply, you can say that Carolina was better by a lot with Seth Trimble on the floor on Saturday. He was making plays. He was disruptive on defense and yet only called for one foul. He was perfect from the floor, three of three, three of four from the free throw line. Didn't have a ton of assists, just one, but perhaps more importantly, didn't have any turnovers. Seth Trimble, man, is growing by leaps and bounds this year. And man, when he's out and running, this this team looks so, so good. I haven't even looked at the fast break points from this game. Carolina led 16 to 10, so not, not a huge margin there, but they did lead in that third point in the four corners recap was the weird goaltending thing in the first half that ended up being overturned um 10 39 so halfway through the first half um armando baycott had grabbed an offensive rebound was putting it back a florida state player hit the net uh the shot didn't go in but armando was corralling it again anyway uh, a whistle was blown goaltending was called and Carolina awarded two points, obviously, and Florida State was given, you know, change of possession because that's what happens. The problem is they went back and reviewed it later, as Corey Alexander talked about on the broadcast in real time. Kudos. Great job catching that there. By the way, Jim Beheim, I'm here for it. Carolina's 1-0 when he's on the call. Let's get him every time, right? Um, anyway, uh, and so they go back and review it at a dead ball timeout review or determine that it it wasn't goaltending. And so they take those two points off the board, but here's the problem. Since you don't stop that in real time, Carolina not only loses those two points, but they lose a possession because Armando was gathering possession of the ball as the whistle blew and probably goes right back up. And hopefully he scores that bucket. So you've essentially cost Carolina, you know, potentially four points there, or, or at least too, right? Like if goaltending hadn't be called, Armando gets the bucket and there you go. Here's the problem. It, this is not the fault of the refs. They actually adjudicated this correctly as the rule book says they should. The issue is how the rule is, is put in place right now. So again, this is not on the referees. This is on the rule book. It's the rule book that needs to be changed. And, you know, I, I'm fine. If you blow the play dead, go review it, determine it's not uh, not a goaltend, but then it's Carolina's ball because they had it. I mean, this happened in a college football game yesterday. I forget which, maybe it was Michigan <clears throat> where there was a play. It was ruled incomplete on the field, uh, but a Michigan player had picked it up, handed it to the ref. So he was the last one in possession. So they changed it to being a fumble. He had possession, so it's their ball. Same kind of thing. If the refs stop play, go to the monitor, review it, and they say, oh, no goaltending, but Armando Baycott has the ball, Carolina ball, out of bounds, let's go. Simple as that. They got to change that rule. That's where I'm at with it. Heck, they didn't even change, at least change the possession arrow there, you know, make it a, an issue of alternating possession. They didn't do that. All right, fourth in our four corners recap. <clears throat> My biggest critique of Carolina in this game, and, and you know me, I'm somebody that wants to be, uh, I'm, I'm 
glass half full. I want to be positive and encouraged, but I also want to be fair. And when there is something that I feel um, should receive some level of critique, I want to come out with that. Um, and, and here it is. Carolina did a great job of going to Armando Baycott right out of the gate in this game. I, I, he had two different baskets within like the first minute or so. But then they got away from him. And, and this is something that, that often happens in our guard-dominated era of, of basketball at every level. And I get that. But particularly in a game where the rest of that half, Carolina went 2 of 11 from 3 while forgetting that they had the, you know, Armando Baycott inside <clears throat> was not great. In fact, I said at halftime, hey, let's watch for Carolina to, to really make a concerted effort to go into Armando starting the second half. They didn't do that either. Uh, I think Florida State got a layup right out of halftime, and then somebody jacked up a three in that first position. I don't even remember who it was now, but Armando didn't even get a look or a paint touch. <clears throat> and it's not to me that I think Armando has to get a shot every possession. It's that he's got to get a touch every possession. you got to play through him, and that helps that inside-outside game that Carolina is going to be able to play this year. So that's my biggest critique, especially as the outside shots aren't falling. All the more so, let Armando go to work, either getting a shot or a foul or passing out to a wide-open shooter. Be committed to getting Armando Baycott the ball all the time. That, that's my biggest critique from this game, um, and and honestly, what contributed to Carolina falling off down the stretch of the first half and early in the second is they were continuing to attempt threes when they just weren't falling on this day. And so we'll see how that goes going forward, but, but there you are with that. All right, last thing here, shady stat of the game. Carolina in the Hubert Davis era has not been as um, dominant and offensive rebounding team as they were in the Roy Williams era, chiefly because they're not playing a too big lineup as, as other teams were only doing one big and, and four guards. It makes sense that Carolina would dominate that under Roy Williams and the numbers percentages of offensive rebounds are still nowhere near that level. Carolina is pretty consistently in the 30% this year, but just in terms of the raw data of it, Carolina has played eight games. They have secured double-digit offensive rebounds in all eight of those games. That's really good. Meanwhile, they've only allowed double-digit offensive rebounds three times this year, holding five of their eight opponents to single-digit offensive rebounds. All that to say, Carolina is doing a good job on the offensive rebounding glass while also doing a good job finishing de defensive possessions with a defensive rebound. Keep it up, Tar Heels. You love to see it. I already mentioned it, but, but Duke. They lost on Saturday at Georgia Tech, had lost earlier in the week at Arkansas. It just makes that Saturday all the more happy. For those of you who also love it when Kentucky loses, they lost Saturday at home to UNC Dub. So another North Carolina team doing the Lord's work there. By the way, uh, football notes, as I'm recording, we still don't know Carolina's bowl destination yet. As probably will, I'm not probably, we definitely will know that by Tuesday and, and I'll mention that on the show. But we also learned that George Petaway is transferring, the, the uh, running back is transferring away from Carolina. Again, makes sense when everyone knows they're going to be buried behind Marion Hampton. Friends, that's it to kick off this week. Coming up on tomorrow's show, Coach Pat Kilby is going to join me a day early this week because he's got uh, some commitments at our new usual recording time. But that'll be great because we're going to join together to get you prepared on Tuesday's show for the matchup with UConn. going to be a really, really tough test for the Tar Heels. I, I'm very serious. This is a great UConn team. 
All right, want to remind you to come join our Discord. The link is in the show notes. We'd love to have a conversation with you there. You can also email us, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. We'd love for you to subscribe to the show on video and audio. Smash the like button if you're watching, and we'd love to hear your comments on this game, uh, this victory over Florida State. It's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Cannot wait to talk to you tomorrow, but until then, peace. <laughs>